Lord, I want to pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts. Yeah, open our hearts, Lord. I, I want to pray. Uh, before I pray, you need to hear a backstory. I was reading last night when um, Paul said about he longed to visit. I think it was the, uh, the, the, the church in Thessalonica. He said, I long to visit you that I may fill up in you the faith that's lacking. And I was thinking, how does that work? God gives us faith. He gives us the gift of faith. How can Paul fill up what's lacking when God's given it all? And I just studied that and thought about it. I thought, there's something about ministry in the Word of God that builds our faith. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that as I preach this, not because it's me, but because it's your Word, Lord, it would fill up the faith that's lacking. Lord, it would build up our faith. It would lift us up. Lord, it would encourage us. It would stir us up, Lord. It would stir up the gift that you've placed within us, it would fan into flames. Lord, the spark that you've lit within us, Lord, I pray this morning that your word would ignite us. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you come and fill up within us that which is lacking? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, I know it's the second Sunday in January, but for me, it feels like the first. It's the first time I get to preach in the new year. It's the first time we all get to back to be together in the building together. And so I feel like it's that New Year message. And I don't know how you feel about kind of New Year's resolutions and that kind of idea of, you know, it's a new year. I, I looked back, um, because I keep, you know, electronic copies of all my sermons, I look back at all the sermons I preached in the beginning of the year for the last five or six years. And, um, and I was just looking back at them. And, and I don't know what I was making of it, really, because I was looking back and thinking, every time we have a new year, I kind of, I feel particularly stirred up. Not necessarily to say, here's the vision for the year, but just to kick off the new year. And some of those things have, have, have set the tone for our church and set kind of where we go, things like the church that God is building. We had one year I was talking about um, enlarging our vision, and we spent, then we did enlarging our relationships and enlarging our, um, our, our uh, uh, leadership. Um, and then another years, I was talking about intimacy with God, and so I, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I think a lot about the New Year Word, and kind of setting the tone. And what's good is, I, I praise God. God gives years, He gives seasons, He gives months, He gives weeks, He gives days. There are all these kind of triggers to give fresh starts. And so there's nothing particularly special about the first preach of the year. Nothing particularly special about the first day of the year, January the 1st. It's just that God give a moment to help us recenter and go, you know, and even every day when you wake up in the morning, it's a new day, isn't it? It's a new start. It's a, it's a fresh day. Whatever happened yesterday was yesterday. And I just, I just think there's something about these new, new opportunities. And so within that, I was, you know, as, as I anticipate coming towards the first Sunday of the year, I'm like, what do you want to say, God? And, and um, I find God does this funny thing with me. The more I, the more I um, kind of pray and dig into it, the more I get silence. And then God speaks in the obscure moments when I wasn't expecting him to. And so I was just doing my, um, my as is my habit of this daily reading, I, I listen to the Bible each night when I'm walking the dogs and work my way through the Bible. And, um, and I, I just happened to be at the point of, of listening through Hebrews 11. And as I listened, just something jumped out. Something jumped out, and this is where this, this morning's message is, is what I can guarantee to win. Because something jumped out at me in this passage that, you know, look, with the Bible, you read things, 
And then you read them anew, or you hear them anew, or something leaps out, and you think, well, I've heard that loads of times. But I saw this bit in Hebrews 11, and I thought, wow, this is amazing. There's something in the Bible that God guarantees to win. So I want to read this to you. If you've got your Bible, um, you might want to turn to Hebrews 11. Some of you would be familiar with it. But like I said, I've read this a number of times, but then something leapt off the page from me. So let me read to you Hebrews 11, verses 1 to 6. And it says this. Faith shows, this is the New Living Translation, so those of you have heard Hebrews 11, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. This out reads in the New Living. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understood that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That What we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel bought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying, He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. And it was that last bit that just leapt, well, I wouldn't say left off the page. I was listening on some headphones I heard it, I thought, hang on, hang on, let me, let me hear that again. I've heard that before, but let me hear that again. That he rewards those who sincerely seek him. There's this phrase that people, um, uh, you know, in this sort of New Year stuff, New Year's resolutions and motivational speakers and things like this, there's this phrase that's gone around. It was actually coined by a, a preacher. And it, it, it's this phrase that what would you do, what would you attempt to do if you knew you couldn't fail? And the idea is, you know, go and do it anyway type thing, you know. But if, if you seek God, you will find him. It's like, you know, there's something here that's guaranteed to win. You're guaranteed not to fail. He says he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It's like a promise of God that you can take to the bank. If you seek God, you will find him. He will reward you, it says. There's a reward for those who sincerely seek him. And this promise isn't just in Hebrews 11. It's like throughout the Bible. It's like many things that you see in the Bible. You read it and then you go study and you find it's like a drumbeat that goes throughout the Bible over and over and over again. God is continually promising if you seek, you'll find. It's not, you know, we might feel like it's new because it's a new year message, but it's not a new thing. God's been saying this for centuries, for millenniums. He's been saying, if you seek me, you'll find me. Those of you who want to write down the the scriptures, you can take a photo of that or write it down. But let me read this to you. 1 Chronicles 28.9. If you seek him, you will find him. Simple as that. If you seek him, you will find him. 2 Chronicles 15 says, whenever you seek him, you'll find him. Jeremiah 29 says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Proverbs 8.17 says, those who seek me diligently, find me. It's not just the Old Testament, the New Testament. James 4.8 says, come close to God and God will come close to you. 
And Matthew 7, 7 was where Jesus said, you know, knock and it should be opened up to you. Seek and you will find this continual message that says, if you look for Jesus, if you seek him, if you sincerely seek after him, you'll find him. No, no mistake, you, you can guarantee that. You can promise that to anybody else. If you want to find God, you go seeking him. He will be found. He will be found. We have, um, we have two dogs, as you might know. I need a drink. I tell you, this, this, um, this COVID cough thing, it leaves your throat a bit like this. And also singing with a mask on, it dries you out, doesn't it? Um, we have two dogs. Max and Lucas, and we were, we were reminiscing last night looking at photos and videos of when Max first arrived. Yesterday was our, what do you call it? Uh, what, the gotcha day, yeah, right. So it's the, it's the, day, we, the day we got Max. Um, he was you know, born a few months before that. But, and, and we was watching these little, little videos of this puppy running around and all this stuff. But ever since we've had, you know, first dog Lucas and now Max, almost every day we do something with them, which is find and seek. It gets their brains going, you know. So we'll, we'll get the dogs over in the corner here. Stay, stay, just wait, right? We, get, we teach them how to wait. And then we take little treats and we hide them around the room. And they're th so thick, sometimes they see where you put them and they still have to go find them, right? <laughs> but anyway, right? right? So we hide all these little treats, like under pillows, right? Behind the sofa, around the corner, right? In a shoe, right? All this sort of stuff, right? Go. And then they run around and they're... And they're sniffing and they're looking and they're trying to beat each other because obviously there's two of them and there's only X amount of treats and you're trying to make sure that they both get an even amount, right? And they do it almost every day. And they're so excited. I mean, they are patient. They do wait. But they're like, it's not like we say go and they're like, oh, maybe. I might do. Are you, have, you really, have you really left us something? You know, it's not like they find one thing and go, oh, that'll do. I'm done now. There's this excitement and an expectation and the thing is, for us as the owners, we, we don't hide things for them not to find them. This isn't a competition, like, I win, ha-ha, you didn't find them. We want them to find what we've, what we've put there, the, the, the little treats for them. We've put them there with the sole intention of them finding them. And we're thrilled when they find them. And when they don't, we're like, Lucas, Lucas, over here. And you start, because you want them to find them. That's, that, there's a picture of God. They seek because they know they will find them. They're not in any confusion whether they'll be able to find it. They don't do this mysteriously during the day. They don't just sit there and wait. They, they look and go, okay, now's the time. And they have an absolute, absolute expectation. In actual fact, when they found them all, you have to tell them that's it. There's no more. We're done. We're done. It's done. Because otherwise they're still looking for more. Is there anything more? Is there anything else left? You know, one from yesterday that we didn't find or whatever, right? You know? They have an absolute expectation to find this treasure that's been placed for them. And we have an absolute desire for them to find it. It's our thrill to, to place this treasure for them. And it's our thrill when they find them. We congratulate them and, you know, praise them and what have you. And we help them. And I was just thinking about this picture. It just gave me this like, heavenly perspective of God. who's like, I want you to find me. I want you to find the reward there is in seeking. I want you to seek and hunger because I've got treasure for you and I'm not going to make it difficult for you. And even when you're struggling, I'm going to lead and guide you and usher you in a certain direction. Because it's his pleasure to do that. It's, it's a father's heart. It's his heart to do that for us. That's why he's continually promised that we're guaranteed to win. We're guaranteed to find him. He says, I'm not going to make myself distant from you. 
I know we go through life and we have these times where we feel like, oh, I don't know if I feel like God's there and he, he feels afar off and all these sort of things. But that's different. There are times when life is so tough and we're like, where is God in it? But the promise is still there. That says, if you seek me, sincerely seek me, you'll find me. And so that's, that's what he has set aside for us. And so as I looked at this, there's just a few things I want to bring out. The first thing is that we win this prize by faith. That's what he talks about. He talks about it by faith. He talks about two types of faith. He says, firstly, he says that um, uh, it's possible to please God in, without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him is two things. Firstly, must come to him. Those who want to come to him, firstly, must believe that God exists. There's a faith that just says that God is real. That's, that's a first sort of faith. He says the first thing you've got to do is actually believe that God exists. And not a God of your own making. Not, he's talking about the God of the Bible, revealed in Jesus Christ. The person that we read in the Scripture and the, and the God who reveals himself, he says, you've got to believe that this is real. And I know we do. And so many do. You ask many people, I believe in God. Some people even, I believe in Jesus. But it's interesting that actually somewhere else in James, in the, in, in the book of James, well, not somewhere else in James, we're in Hebrews, but in James 2, James talks about the fact that the demons believe that God exists. So, strangely, we think that faith in God, believing that God exists, believing that Jesus is the Son of God, believing that he died and rose again is enough. But James says, look, there's plenty of demonic <laughs> beings who believe that. That's why in Hebrews he says you've got to firstly believe that God exists. But then there's this second sort of faith, the sort of faith that my dogs have, the faith that says if I seek, I will find. That's why he says it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must firstly believe that God exists and must believe that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. There's not just a faith to believe in Jesus but a faith that says, I want to seek after him. To believe that God rewards those who sincerely seek him. Sometimes we, we, we waver in that faith. It's like, oh, I'm not sure this is going to work. I'm not, sure if I, I'm not sure if I spend time with God or I just take some time out to pray or to read or just to, to order my life in that way. I, I don't know whether it will get me anywhere. And he says, have the faith to believe that those who sincerely seek me receive a reward. You know, God will not settle for just the mere knowledge of his existence. You know why? Not because it's like, oh, you're not good enough type thing. It's because just believing that it exists isn't a relationship. It's just a belief. He longs for relationship. And relationship involves seeking. It's no good. You hear these stories. Oh, this wasn't my story with me and Karen. But some people have these stories where they see this person across the crowded room. They're like, that's the person I'm going to marry one day. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Then if they sit down and have their own drink and chat to themselves and chat to them and do nothing about it, it's not going to happen. You've got to pursue the person. You can't just go, oh, that's the one I'm going to marry and it will happen one day. Because like, you can't just sit back and go, believe in me. You've got to, you've got to want to be in relationship with me. That's, that's why, um, you know, I spoke, when we started coming back to church, I spoke about a kind of a clearer vision for our church of saying, this is, we want to be a place where people are imperfect. Come when they develop a relationship with Jesus. We are here. Those of you who are online are here because we want to cultivate a relationship with Jesus, not just a belief in him, not just a knowledge. 
Not just going, oh, I know this scripture or I know this story, but I want to have a relationship because that relationship changes my life. The knowledge of Jesus doesn't change your life. The relationship does. If you seek after him, he reveals himself. And as we, as we think about this, and I'm sure this isn't, you know, for me, I've heard this again. I'm like, wow, this is so amazing. And maybe this is a fresh one for you, or maybe it's like, yeah, I know. But I think when we start to step into this idea that it's not just about a belief, it's about a relationship, and it's about seeking him and pursuing him, I want us to acknowledge that there is a natural temptation within us to then turn that into something that we want to work for or earn. Just realize that. That happens within us. Even in our sincere intention to seek after God, there's something that draws us. There's like a magnetic pull, I often call it, towards work, towards earning something, without realizing, I mean, these dogs of mine, they don't have to earn it. They seek in it, but they're not, they're not, they're not earning it. They've got to seek the treasure, but I'm not making them work for it. This, um, this verse is, I've get, spoken to you is from Hebrews, Hebrews 11. Those of you who know this scripture well, it's, the, kind of the, it's the, the hall of faith, they call it. These kind of massive people of faith. And so as you read Hebrews 11, it's easy to feel intimidated by these great men and women of faith. You know, Dave spoke about this funeral he went to. You know, and I, I wasn't there, but, and I didn't know Vane, I've heard of him, but I've been to people's funerals where you hear amazing stories. And being around people who are amazing can be quite intimidating. <laughs> you look at yourself and think, well, what, what have I done? And Hebrews 11 can be like that. Let me read to you the verses that carry on after Hebrews 11, 1 to 6. This is what it says in, in 7 uh, to 11. It says this, it says... Uh, by faith, Noah, so it tells about Noah, being warned of God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. It's a bit intimidating, isn't it? Noah builds a whole ark. What have I done with my life? By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place where he was to receive an inheritance. Where have I gone? I'm frightened to leave my area. You know, I'm quite comfortable where I am. Don't tell me to go to Africa, God. I couldn't do that. Abraham, he just swans off and he went out not knowing where he was going. He didn't even know where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents. Man, I don't do well living in tents. With Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same, the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that had foundations, whose designers and builders is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. That's, that's intimidating. If you can't conceive... You read this and go, Sarah received power. I mean, herself. It's like it sounds like she kind of made herself be able to conceive. Like somehow she did this, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. It can be intimidating, this stuff. And you know, you read on in verse 17, it carries on about Abraham sacrificing Isaac or putting him on the altar, willing to give up his most precious, you know, son. It talks about Isaac and the faith of Isaac. It talks about Joseph and Moses and all these people of faith. And when we step into that, we can look and go, well, that's how I get closer to God. By being great. 
And it's easy to overlook the fact that every single one of those, it's not talking about their actions or their exploits. It's talking about their faith. By faith. Every one of those people says, by faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Noah. None of these listed could please God without faith. Noah could have built an ark. Without faith, he wouldn't have pleased God. It wasn't about the actions. It wasn't about the exploits. It wasn't about the accomplishments. It wasn't about the great things they achieved. It was about the faith. That's the grounding of this scripture. No one could have pleased God without faith. The the Impassion Translation puts this key verse of ours this way. It says, this is verse 6 of Hebrews 11. The Passion Translation says this. He rewards the faith of those who give all their passion and strength into seeking him. I love the way that's put. All their passion and strength into seeking him. And I want us to see that we get drawn into how do I earn something with God? How do I prove to God that I I love him? that I'm a good Christian, and how do I achieve something, and what accomplishment can I have? And the Bible wants to bring us back to, it's by faith. And the next thing I want to say in this is that faith is shown not through these exploits, it's shown by seeking him. And the way I know this, and what I love about this, when I really started to stop and look at this, is, I don't know, if you, I mean, you've heard now, Hebrews 1, all the way through to 11, and I've mentioned some people out of 17. And I strongly suspect, I don't know, but if we would now start to list all the people, we'll think of the big names, the Noahs, the Moses, the Isaacs, the Jacobs, the Abrahams. But this verse in verse 6 that says about faith to seek God, faith to believe in him, is centered on two other characters that I don't think we often think about in the Hall of Faith. This is what it says in verse 5 to 6. We read this again a moment ago. It was by faith that Enoch. I don't hear a lot about Enoch. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it's impossible to please God without faith. That's That's where this links together. It says Enoch was a person who pleased God. And it's impossible to please God without faith. And, and we come to him, you must come to him knowing that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So what did Enoch do that was so great? We know what Abraham did, we know what Isaac did, we know what Moses did, we know what Noah did. But what did Enoch do? Why was Enoch so special? What amazing exploit did Enoch do? This is all we find out about Enoch in Genesis 5. This stranger was in my daily reading the other day as well. When Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years. It's a long time, isn't it? And he had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years, walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared because God took him. I don't tell you much, does it? (laughs) I don't tell you much about Enoch. I mean, I know he lived a long time. I don't know he had children. But all I get to read about this is that he walked in close fellowship. I didn't hear any exploits, any amazing accomplishment, any amazing thing. But he's called out in the Hall of Faith as one of those people. Because he walked. 
And I think there's something about this that sincerely seeking after God is, at its simplest, a walk. And when we feel this pressure to be something in the hall of faith, to be someone for God, even, you know, like a funeral and things that we hear, wow, what are they doing? What have I done? I want us to come back and go, you know what, at its simplest, seeking after God is walking with God. It's walking with God. So how can you walk with God? I mean, he doesn't tell us exactly what Enoch did, but he walked close fellowship with God. So I'm imagining that for Enoch and for you and for I, walking with God is just what it says it is. It's walking with God. It's getting up each morning and living our life with God. Not like we don't know God, like he's not involved, but involving him in our lives. Just Walking with God, facing the ups and downs of life, the trials and the tribulations and the accomplishments and the opportunities and the disappointments and walking with God. That's what I think it comes down to. We walk with God. I don't know how simpler to put it. The Bible seems to really reduce it down and just go, you know, Enoch was known as someone who pleased God. And I don't see in here that he, God was pleased with him because of what he accomplished any more than he was with Abraham and Noah. Because and, God's not interested in that. He's interested in belief in him and walking with him. And that's our encouragement is to walk with God, to just involve him every single moment of our life. Just say, God, I'm walking this walk with you. The other one, let's, I'm working backwards here. We had verse 6 was our anchor scripture. It's impossible to please God without faith, and faith is believing that he exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Go back a verse, it's anchored in Enoch. A verse before that is verse 4 that's anchored. Oh, then they're not bring that out there, never mind. I'll read it to you anyway. It's anchored in Abel. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel's long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. Again, what did Abel do? <laughs> he brought an offering to God from a sincere heart and then was killed for it. So I see this picture between Enoch and Abel. I think Enoch is this picture for us of just normal, ordinary people walking with God. Not everyone is a Billy Graham. Not everyone is a Vane Austin. Not everyone is a Robin Ware. Right? We're just ordinary people walking with God. And God says, I want to be in your life. And then there are others, like Abel, who die. Our persecuted church. They just sincerely follow God and they get killed for it. There's a, there is a persecuted church out there. I mean, we suffer a tiny bit of persecution, but we know around the world there's a persecuted church who just make the right choice to follow God and suffer for it. Like Abel did, that's all he did. All Abel did was bring an offering to God. Little did he know that day, I'm just going to bring an offering to God from a sincere heart and offer this up to God and his brother gets jealous and kills him. And I think it's just this, it's this picture of just the ordinary life and the persecuted life. And even in, you know, to step back from the major persecution, some people, just, I mean, some people in our church, some people you know, you look and go, it's just one thing after another. It's just one blow after another. It's just one other bit of bad news. It's an able life that God says, just walk with me. I'm pleased with you because you're bringing an offering to me 
even though you're being persecuted for it, even though life is not going the glorious way, even though you're not getting all the successes, God says, that's sincerely seeking after me. Not everyone is a mighty warrior of faith. Not everyone is. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm struck by the New Testament. You know, when, when Peter spoke on the day of Pentecost, I think it says about 3,000 got saved. And then more and more were being added daily. But you only really hear about a few big heroes of faith. That doesn't mean that the others weren't Christians, right? It's just, it's more helpful to hear about some of the big exploits. But don't, don't look there for and go, I must be a Peter or a Paul or a James or a, or a, you know. You can be an Enoch. You can just walk with God. Not everybody is called to slay the giant. And so faith is shown by seeking him. The third thing I want to say in this is that this is a work of grace. It's by grace, not by guilt. And I want to tell what I mean by this. It would be easy to preach this message into this passage and turn it into a go do this for God message. Go build an ark, even when you can't see the rain. Go be a Noah. Or go leave your land and go to a foreign land where you don't know where it is. Go where God's calling you to go or turn it into a, you know, offer up. Abraham offered up his son on the offer, or on, the, on the altar. What do you need to give up in your life? It would be easy to turn it into this. Like Joseph, face the, face the Pharaoh and make an impact in your community. Storm, the, this picture also talks about um, uh, the walls of Jericho. You know, go storm the walls of Jericho. You could read it this way. But I don't think that's what God wants to say to us. I'm not sure it's even not just for us today. I just, I don't think that's what, how this is meant to be used. One of these many scriptures that talks about seeking God and finding him is this one in 1 Chronicles 28.9. It says, and Solomon, this is talking to Solomon, and Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. That's a great encouragement. Learn to know God intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you'll find him. If you forsake him, he'll reject you forever. This is about a heart to yearn for God. Not about hands to earn something for God. Took me a lot of time to get that alliteration, okay, right? This is about a heart to yearn for God, not hands to earn. Because we have this gravitational pull to want to prove ourselves to God as a good Christian or to work hard or to achieve something and accomplish something, and that's how I get close to God. In my preparation for this, I was, you know, like I could do, I read the scriptures and I pray and I read other things and I read some commentaries. And I want to read to you a passage from a commentary that I read. Because I want you to hear this. Someone wrote this in a commentary. They're probably well respected. And I think they're wrong. <laughs> and I want to read it to you because I think you'll hear this and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want to tell you why I think they're wrong. Right? So listen to this. A person who is diligently seeking after God will go to any length to find God and obey his word. Jesus teaches that we must have this commitment to God saying, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what is, what, 
For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? We're doing all right so far. This is where I think it starts to twist a little bit. We know what it means to be diligent. Think about this. If a football player only goes to half the practices, is he diligent? If an able-bodied Christian only goes to half the church services, is he diligent? If a student rarely studies at home, is he diligent? And if a Christian rarely studies at home, is he diligent? If a student goes unprepared to class, is he diligent? And if a Christian goes unprepared to Bible class, is he diligent? If an able-bodied club member attends all the meetings but never helps with the work, is he diligent? And if an able-bodied Christian attends all the church services but never helps with any work, is he diligent? We know what it means to be diligent. And we know that the God is a reward of those who diligently seek him. And yet I've heard it said in many churches, 10% of the people do 100% of the work. What do you think? How many of those people will receive God's reward? Join me and seriously ask yourself, am I diligently seeking God? And you might have heard sermons like that. And I'd love to preach a sermon like that and motivate you to work harder and do more, but it's not biblical. I'm not saying we shouldn't study and we shouldn't help out, but there's not the basis of earning from God. Diligently seeking God is not working. It's a hunger and a thirst within us that says, God, I want to know you. I want to seek you. It's about a heart to yearn, not hands to earn. Diligently seeking we turn into, so work harder, do more. That's what it means to diligence. There is something within the human condition that draws back to law instead of grace and says, I've got to earn this. I've got to buy this with God. I've got to get there. It's about faith, not fear. So much of that sort of stuff is driven by fear, like I'm not going to be good enough. I'm not going to measure up. Instead of walking by faith and saying, I want to believe in you, God. In your greatness, in your mercy, in your love, in your compassion, in your understanding, in your arms are wrapped around me. Not the fear of some father who's going to criticize me or beat me up because I'm not working hard enough. It's about the faith to believe that he diligently, so he, he rewards those who diligently seek after him. Not those who work for him, but seek after him. It's about faith, not fear. It's about grace, not guilt. How many times have we felt guilted? And it's weird, you don't even need a preacher to do it. You can read a scripture and guilt yourself into it. You can read Hebrews 11 and read all these people and guilt yourself into not being like Abraham and not being like Noah. And not God says, don't forget Enoch. You know, maybe, you're, maybe you will be called to metaphorically build an ark. Maybe God will give you a challenge and if he does, then you better diligently seek him. But he doesn't give everybody that challenge. He doesn't. He only called one person in the Bible to lay his son on, a, on, a, on an altar, and then God did it. And we take these things, and like the enemy uses them, like he twisted scripture in the wilderness with Jesus and wanted to use scripture against Jesus. And Jesus, is like, no, you're misunderstanding the way the word of God's supposed to be used. The enemy tries to do that and guilt us and builds fear into our life. He wants to turn us into a slave and not a seeker. He says, Seek after me. I mean, yes, there is a cross to carry. I mean, this, this um, bit that I read to you about from Matthew about, you know, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross. That is true. But Jesus also said, come to me, who you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. For my burden is light. 
And so when you're feeling like the burden is heavy, you're not receiving the burden of Christ. It's a joy to seek God. My, my dogs don't, they're not like, oh God, it's that time of day again. Dad wants us to find the treats. It's a joy. It's a joy, you know, um, the, the goal of seeking is to find treasure. That's the goal of seeking. The dogs aren't trying to please me. They're not trying to impress me. They're trying to get the treasure. The goal of seeking is to find. That's why it says seek and you will find. That's why it says you must believe that those who sincerely seek after God, he rewards. Because the goal is not to impress anybody or to impress God or to, to be a better Christian. It's to find him. And to find the treasure, and the, you know, let's not be um, confused here. Unlike my dogs, where I hide the treats and they find something else, what God does is he places himself as the treasure. That's the reward. The reward is not some material thing or even some inner peace or some inner joy. The reward is him. And all those other things come with him, but the reward is him. It's not the other stuff that he brings. It's him alone. And it's interesting because when you really focus on the fact that seeking after God, hungering for him, seeking after him, brings the reward of finding God and not whatever else you want to put in that place. When you recognize that and accept that, it challenges you. Because if you're disappointed by that, like, well, I thought that was how I was going to get my healing. I thought that was how I was going to get out of debt. I thought that was how I was going to get my relationship repaired. Or I thought that was how I was going to sleep better. When, when you realize that that is not the reward he's talking about, but he is the reward. If you're disappointed by that, then it starts to, you start to realize you weren't seeking after God. <laughs> that you weren't hungering and thirsting after him. You wanted all this other stuff. That's why he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Like Dave spoke this morning about the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. That is saying, you know, the kingdom of God, like bypass Ali since Dave brought up this morning, the kingdom of God is the place where God's rule and reign happens. You go to a kingdom, it's where the, the king is in charge. So the kingdom of God is everywhere where God's way it's meant to be is happening. Seek first that. Seek to live in the place where God is. And all these other things will be added unto you. But seek first the kingdom. Seek God, seek himself, not all the other stuff. And so you may well, you may well study the word of God for hours because you're hungry and you're like, wow, I've never read this before. And, oh my goodness, man. You, know, you might lose yourself for hours in the word of God, but it's because you're seeking him. Not because you're like, how many hours of Bible reading can I get in today and impress God or earn God? You might spend hours on your knees in prayer. Because you just discovered an intimacy with God, but you're not there to impress him. You're, you're hungry and thirsty. You might give hours away feeding people in the local area or visiting people who are lonely, but it's not because you're trying to earn it. It's because you're like, God, I want to be where you are. I want to f you know, God is where the poor are being fed. God is where the marginalized are being accepted. God is where the lonely are being met. And it's like, you find God in those places, and it's like, that's my reward. I found God. I found the place where God is. So, I was going to do these scriptures, but I'm not because of time. But there's other scriptures you can read. They just carry on about seek and you'll find him. But the scriptures I want to show, they're just because they're really clear. So let me leave it up there, but I'm not going to read them to you. Right? 
that they're really clear that what you find is him. Seek and you'll find me. Seek and you'll find him. He is the reward. So how will we sincerely seek him? Not by earning, not by trying to impress anyone, not by trying to work our way. But how will we today, this year, this week, whenever you want to make a fresh start, and go, I just want to hunger and thirst after him. And, and, and I, my strong suspicion is one of two things. Either you're one of two people right now. You're either someone who, who have, have made that part of your, your daily habit. And you're like, amen. And I just want to encourage you to keep going because there's more to be found. It's like my dogs, right? I have to go to that's it. We're, we're done. There's no more left. But God's like, keep seeking, keep seeking, keep seeking. You'll find more and more treasure. You'll find more and more of me. So you may be someone who's going, yeah, okay, fine. I feel spurred up to keep going and to just seek him more, not because I'm trying to earn it. But you might also be someone who's going, oh, this is a bit challenging. I'm not, I'm not sure I've really built this much into my life. Well, I want to encourage you. It's, you're guaranteed to win. Seek him, you'll find him. Hunger after him, you'll be nourished. You'll never go thirsty again. That's what his promise is to us. He wants to be found. He wants to reward you with his presence. That's his desire. He doesn't want to be distant from you. He doesn't want to hide himself from you. He wants you to yearn after him and discover him. He longs to pour out his presence upon you. You know, I'll tell you, I don't live every moment of every day feeling God's presence. I don't. I wish I did. I don't. But when I seek him, I find him. And I have these moments every now and again when I'm like really really making space for God. And wow, God's presence is amazing. I mean, this morning God's presence was here. But it's not meant to be just like for half an hour on a Sunday morning when we're worshipping. It's like he wants us to walk with him and continue being there. That's what he wants to pour out. His desire is for you. And, and so I think the most, where I want to end this is, the most profound step, I think, that we read in the Bible about this is in the very familiar story of the prodigal son. You know, you get a real picture of how the father's heart works in the prodigal son. You know, because if we think about this analogy of, of um, or this, this reality of, of hungering after God, wanting to be in his presence, and then you think about the prodigal son who's not, he's, he's wandered off, he's misspent his time, his money, his effort, his life, and he reaches a point that says, I, I don't want to keep going on like this. I, w- I want to be back with dad. I want to be back in the presence of Father. Even if I was just a servant, it'd be better than this. You know, sometimes we reach that point in life where we're like, especially if you've been a Christian a while and you've known closer times with God. And you're like, man, I just want, I want to go back. I mean, anything's better than this. There's times in our life when we feel like we're, we're barren and dry and wilderness and, 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 and God's like, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Like the prodigal son, like the, the prodigal father, I'm ready. To, to embrace you. This is what we read. When he finally came to his senses, this is Luke 15, he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father. And this is, this is often our attitudes. Like, okay, I'm going to have to come back to God, and then I'm going to have to get on my knees and say, Father, I've sinned. I've blown it, God. I'm really sorry, God. And then I'm going to have to make it up to God. And, and what happens? While he's still away off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He runs to his son, embraces him, and kisses him. 
His son said to him, Father, I've sinned. We start on that bit like, oh, God, I'm really, really sorry, God. I've not spent enough time with you. And the father shuts him up and says, quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the fatted calf. We have been fat- Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. I want to tell you, if you look and go, I've not really been seeking after God enough. You might have an attitude that says, oh, I'm going to have to go back. and Oh, this is a bit awkward. And God, I'm really sorry. I can't tell you how many times I've written in my journal. I have a journal, right, that I write in every now and again. I cannot tell you how many pages. Well, actually, let me tell you again, right. So I do, an, someone taught me this thing a while ago. If you do any journaling, I'll, I'll, I'll pick this tip up. It's really good. Rather than have a journal that you write in each day, have a journal for each day of the year. And then each year, write on that same page. So when I get to the 6th of January, I write on the same page as I wrote on the 6th of January last year or the year before or the year before. And you kind of get to see this way that you're changing or where you were a year ago, two years ago. It's like your Facebook memories. You have that Facebook memories because, oh, well, we was on holiday five years ago. Oh, we was at so-and-so's party. It's like this, you know, it's every day. I mean, I do it electronically, but you could do it in a massive fat diary. But, you know, I go on my iPad and I go to the page that's for the 5th of January. And not every year has got an entry because I don't journal every day. But I can't tell you when I go back and read how many times I've written in my journal I spend more time daily with God. Really got to get back into this habit. How many times I say that and write that? And I'm like this prodigal son going, God, I know I haven't, I know I haven't written in my journal for a while now, God. I've not, I have, you know. And God's like, shut up. Stop it. Let me throw my arms around you. Let's have a party. I don't care. You're back. <laughs> You're back and I want to show myself to you. That is the attitude of the father. And so I want to say, and uh, the band, if you want to come back up, because we're going, to, we're going to worship with one final song. You know, two things to warn you against. Don't, don't try and earn this. Just, just love him. Just believe in him. Just believe that he loves you. Believe that he wants to show himself. Just demonstrate faith through that. And, and secondly, recognize there's a party waiting for you. He just, he just wants, God just wants to reward you. He just wants to reward you with his presence. He just wants to spend time with you. He just wants to enjoy it. I, I am next week. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna preach some more from Hebrews 11, and um, I'm gonna preach some more about. Well, I'm gonna preach about how God sees us. So often our image of ourselves is 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 skew with. It might be how you see yourself. It might be how the world sees you, but it's not how God sees you. And, you know, I want you to know he's, he's longing to have a party with you, just to spend time with you. And all the stuff that we, like, we want to bring up our past, it's like, I've, I've done it, I've dealt with it. Let's have a party, let's kill the fatted calf, let's put a ring on your finger, let's, let's just have some time together. So we're going to sing um, The More I Seek You. It's just a song that just reiterates, like, Lord, the more, I, the more I do this, the more I find you. And then the more I find you, the more I want you. And, and this thing goes on. The more I spend time with God, the more I want to keep spending time with him. And, and so I want this to be our confession and our song. And you can talk to God um, however you need to during this song. We're going to seek God.